I think it can be challenging sometimes because you don't really know exactly what you're building towards because it hasn't really been done before. That's Lydia White, a design lead at Beam, an independent and wildly ambitious technology media company that's bringing a wider range of perspectives to the news. It was co-founded by YouTuber Casey Neistat and Matt Hackett. Lydia started her design career with an academic background in fine art and photography, but growing up she had the chance to learn a lot from her dad. Later on, Lydia started her career as a developer before moving into a dedicated design role. After moving to the East Coast and freelancing for a few years, Lydia eventually joined the team at Tumblr, where she had the chance to work on some big projects that had an impact on the evolution of the platform and its community as Tumblr made the shift to mobile. Lydia was later recruited to join the small team at Beam, where she's helping to change the way news stories are told and delivered. Through new products like panels, Beam is creating a unique and youthful blend of technology and storytelling. What Lydia is talking about is exactly this new blend of technology and reporting that Beam has been experimenting with over the past few months, creating a new way of delivering content. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Today we're speaking with Lydia White, a design lead at Beam, a new type of technology and media company that was co-founded by celebrity YouTuber Casey Neistat and Matt Hackett and later was acquired by CNN. Lydia is building a design team within the company to create new technology products like panels, a mobile video app that lets anyone share their opinions and perspectives, or by finding new and exciting ways to enhance production of the stories they tell. Lydia joins us to share her story, how she got into design startups, how she created the opportunity to join the team at Tumblr, what it was like building a user research team there, some of the challenges they faced as they moved into mobile, what it was like joining the team at Beam, some of the early challenges in building an entirely new type of company, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Lydia. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited to have you here. Really looking forward to learning you know, more about you and, and the cool products you've had a chance to work on, like Tumblr and Beam. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? I'm actually from the San Francisco Bay Area. So I grew up about 45 minutes north of San Francisco in Sonoma County. And I studied at San Francisco State University, mostly because I was interested in being in San Francisco. And I studied a mix of things, but primarily fine art photography and marketing. Oh, wait, that's really cool. And so then uh, I, I guess you, you ended up moving to the East Coast. Usually we see the reverse. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into that. So I guess along the way, where did your passion for design come from? I've always been really interested in computers and the Internet. So when I was a kid, way back in the day, I you know discovered beyond the walls of AOL and the web. And, and I just really wanted to know how it was made. So I learned how to make websites. And through that started discovering graphic design. And my father was also an illustrator who used computers in his work. So he had 
early versions of Photoshop and desktop publishing software that I was able to use and, and learn about. So for example, like some of my earliest babysitting posters were made with Quark Express. And I was really lucky to have a resource of not only like having computers in my home at an early age, but having someone who could teach me about this specific software. So then throughout high school, I guess I started making websites when I was 13 years old. And I made them for myself as just experiments or small businesses or different music events and social scenes. I had a, a monthly music fan club on GeoCities and I had websites for Usher and Britney Spears. <laughs> That's awesome. It's actually funny how many careers were built off those kind of hobbies and curiosities. Yeah, it's very nostalgic. Yeah, absolutely. And so moving into design, how did you start your career? What were some of the first few jobs you had? And you know, was that before or after school? I nannied for a family when I was 13 and then throughout high school during the summers. And their mother was a graphic designer who had her own company. So I was able to work with her just kind of doing whatever marketing support or whatever things I could after school sometimes. And I also worked with a photographer in Petaluma, a portrait photographer. So managing his studio and helping him with marketing or whatever else came up. But I was pretty lucky to kind of get into working in design and creative fields when I was young. That's pretty cool. It's awesome to hear about that path and the skill set you were able to develop based on the people in your life that were able to help and mentor you. So from all of that, you then ended up joining the team at Tumblr as a product designer and later as a product design lead. Can you tell us a bit more about how you created the opportunity to join the team at Tumblr? Sure. So I worked for many years at different agencies. In San Francisco, I was working at AKQA and I, I started as a developer there and decided to switch into design and then worked at more agencies. I moved to New York in 2010 and spent two years freelancing, getting to know like all sorts of different projects and industries. I landed at an agency called Kettle, which specializes in product-y kind of things. And we had a hackathon there, which is where I met Zach Sultan, who was one of the lead product designers at Tumblr. At the time, they only had a couple. And I guess he liked what I was doing because a couple of months later, they reached out to me about interviewing for a product design opening at Tumblr. And Tumblr to me was really a dream job because I'd been on it since the beginning. I had a photo blog that had a moderate following. I just really admired the product and the community. So I was extremely nervous throughout this whole process. And I didn't really think I was going to get it. Also concerned about you know, like shifting from agency to in-house into a tech company, which it ended up not being like that big of a deal, but it, it felt like a big barrier to jump at the time. But of course, things went well, and I ended up joining the Tumblr product design team. And yeah, it was great. That's amazing. So at Tumblr, you also co-led user research. What's your approach to doing user research? And what are some of the biggest mistakes you often see other startups or entrepreneurs making when trying to do general user research around a product or a problem? So when I joined Tumblr, they had really done no user research, which I thought was surprising <laughs> for such a, an established company. And I think they kind of just distrusted it because they had been so successful like based on their instincts. And, but there was a lot of users that were frustrated and there was like 
a large drop off in retention. So the marketing team hired consultants and credit to them for doing that. We were involved in that process and definitely saw the value of user research and and how it could help sort of focus different teams on what needed to be done and, and prioritize things. But the big thing that we noticed from this process was that it really needed to be done in-house to build trust. It couldn't really be coming from this third party in a shiny deck that's just presented to like a room of people. It needed to be part of the daily product iteration and people from all different teams needed to be involved in seeing things firsthand. So we were lucky because we were able to work with Yahoo Labs. Yahoo was the parent company of Tumblr at the time. And they have a really great user research lab in Sunnyvale. And we had a dedicated researcher from Stanford who basically just helped us put together like endless usability tests and surveys and design studies based on whatever questions we had about the product. One cool thing that we did was user research night. And what this was, we'd invite up to 50 people, 50 users, new users, existing users, and recruit you know, 50 engineers and different people throughout the company. And we'd put them together with a script. And so everyone would be participating in the research and building empathy and, and kind of experiencing firsthand some of the problems or like concerns that people had. And, and they were in positions to directly fix things or at least be motivated to learn more about it. So that was really awesome. So in the early days, what were some of the first efforts Tumblr put into user research? And how would a startup go from zero user research into starting a user research process? When I joined Beam, I also started up the user research practice here. And they had a working beta app. So we really just came up with like, what are our high level product questions that we, we want to know? Like, oh, is the camera usable? Do people understand the feed? Like, do they understand what these icons mean. I mean, we just started with like basic usability and we put it in front of people, we recorded it, we had a session moderated by a user researcher and everyone on the team was able to watch the stream and then chat chat about it as it's happening. So through that, we kind of saw, okay, four out of five participants have struggled on this one thing. It's like clearly not working. That's a priority to fix. And it's a matter of you need to, obviously like it's a low, number of people. But what's shocking to me after I started doing user research is like if something is continually happening, even in a small sample size, it's pretty clear that it's not working. So you can learn quickly what needs to be fixed. That's really cool. So what was it like jumping into mobile Tumblr? When I joined the iOS, Android and web teams were separate and I was focused on designing for Android. I actually found it to be pretty fun and easy coming from responsive. I've done like a million responsive websites. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, it's like pretty much fixed. That's nice. It's a small space to work with, but it's extremely well documented with material design guidelines and the human interface guidelines. And so it was a matter of just thinking about, okay, so like what are native mobile interfaces and gestures and animations and flows and like really leaning into the different platforms and software and technology. And it was also nice because we had such a tight internal design and critique process. So I felt like I had a good opportunity to learn from the other designers I was working with. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So you were also the lead designer for a lot of the mobile creation features at Tumblr. What's it like tackling those types of challenges at the same time and stage Tumblr was at? It was really interesting because Tumblr 
really a star rose based on artists and creative people working on their desktop, editing a photo in Lightroom, and then uploading it to Tumblr. And while their mobile apps had posting capabilities, they were extremely limited and not really like native to mobile. For example, like if you would post something from your phone to Tumblr, it would actually be converted into HTML. And if you went to edit that post, you would literally see the HTML on your phone. So it was not ideal and there, there wasn't any sort of image editing tools or video editing tools. It was pretty much just like, here's a media type, put it in a post, it will display across all of the devices. And obviously the audience was moving away from the desktop, which meant that we were losing all of our creators. And that was a big problem. Like people were going to Instagram or different different platforms. And if you lose the creators, then you lose the audience. And you lose the audience, then you lose the advertisers. So myself and many other people were very concerned about this, but it was difficult to convince leadership that it should be a priority because you know the creators are such a small percentage of the users. And they're not often the most vocal, like they'll just give up and go somewhere else. Eventually managed to convince leadership that this was something that needed to be changed and right away. But it's been a long process because of needing to support old post formats and convert everything to a new technology and just having like a legacy code base to transfer everything over. In addition, it's like, well, okay, so we should think about what is an original Tumblr mobile creative format? What does that look like? We don't want it to be Snapchat it needs to be something that's completely unique. And how does that live within the current Tumblr post ecosystem? And that's really something that I think they're still working on figuring out. Yeah, absolutely. Those are all, you know, huge challenges, even for a normal startup. So amplify that by, you know, the point in time where Tumblr was at. And it's definitely nothing that's really easy to solve. So on a bit of a different note, you recently joined the team at Beam. Can you tell us more about how you created the opportunity to join the team there and what Beam's really all about? Well, I was lucky in that I was recruited into the opportunity, but the reason I was a good fit was based on my experience at Tumblr. And Tumblr and Beam really share a lot of the same mission in some ways. We both want to empower ordinary people to share their perspectives and the similar audience of young, passionate, creative people. And also the company culture is very similar in that it's, it's not too polished or serious. It's authentic, playful. It's really supportive. And I think, you know, obviously Casey is one of the co-founders of Beam and, and he sets a lot of that tone. And what we're working towards as a company is a, a hybrid news and technology and media company that has a unique voice targeted towards this young audience. And we want to build products that let our community participate in the news process with us and share opinions. We are building out a YouTube news show, which you can watch at youtube.com slash beam news and really kind of taking that format from Casey Neistat's videos and applying it to news, but also finding our own voice within that and figuring out how that plays with these products in this community that we're cultivating. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It sounds super exciting. I've Definitely been following Casey's videos online for a while now and was one of the first, you know, few hundred subscribers to the new Beam YouTube channel. Uh, and, I, and I really love the modern take on sharing important stories with that more youthful perspective that you guys are really getting into. And so on that note, since you guys are changing the way that news is told and delivered, can you tell us a little bit more about how Beam is set up internally? 
So we have a, our office is in an old furniture store on Broadway near Canal Street. And it's two levels and kind of a raw space, which is one of the things that attracted me to working here. It feels like genuine. And I think that's just like kind of our, the DNA of being. So we have upstairs, we have the technology team, which right now is five engineers, two designers, product lead, and that's it, and, and the leadership. And then downstairs, we have the news team, which is a bunch of producers, video editors, basically production people, and the studio. So they shoot and edit a lot of their video downstairs. And we get together every day for lunch and that's kind of like our main point where we were like daily integrating, but we we're also working together on editorial for theme panels. What are the questions that we're asking? How is the audience responding to it? How can we like improve our editorial voice and questions so that we get like more interesting responses? We're also like collaborating on the news graphics to an extent and trying to get like theme panels integrated into the show and trying to make it also a useful tool for journalists so that if they're in, if something happens in a location, then we can send a notification to everyone that's near there and potentially meet up with them and, and talk to them and, and get their story in real life. We're still like working out what that means in terms of how we can best collaborate. Oh, that's really cool. And so even though it's only been a few months, what are some of the projects that you've had a chance to work on so far? It's been very experimental which has been so refreshing from coming from a company which is more mature and large. So we've, we're kind of just like approaching everything as like, oh, okay, well, this is an experiment. What happens if we do this? It's okay. You know, it's okay to fail as like generic as that sounds, but it feels like we're empowered to try new stuff. One of the things we're working on is panels and panels is an app, which is currently in beta, but you can download it from the app store where you can just hear what real people think about stuff that's happening in the world and, and share your own opinion. And it's in this video format, so it feels very intimate. So you can like see people talking and, and like you can see their environment and where they are in the world and learn a little bit about them that way. And one of the things that we've found that is surprising is you sort of like have a stereotype in your head of a person and think, oh, they're going to think this or they think that. And a lot of times it will really surprise you. So it's nice that it's, it's building empathy and, and highlighting diversity that is unique just because of the video format. It's also like kind of playing off of the concept of panel on, on the news. Like you would turn on CNN and you would see like, okay, there's like three old white dudes giving their hot take on something that's happening. But here we have different stories and things from actual people, oftentimes people that are coming from the places where things are happening. Like recently in Barcelona, there was ongoing issues with government and independence referendum. So we've been hearing from people that are there and, and what they think about it. So when I joined, they had a version of panels and using user research and getting feedback, we completely re redesigned and rebuilt it. And that has been really fun and fast and nice to start from scratch and not have an identity that's already established. I've been working a lot on evolving the new Beam brand and even thinking about things like swag and signage and, you know, like print and collateral stuff that I haven't really worked on before. I'm also working on 
giving feedback to the news team on motion graphics and art direction and generally just like getting a little bit of insight into the whole media process and the studio downstairs, which is fun. And I'm just starting to like grow a little bit of a, a mini design team. So I hired a user researcher and we just hired a second product designer. So thinking about like how to effectively grow a team and but have them be part of the team as a whole, not as a separate design team that's in an ivory tower. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds, you know, like super fun and exciting times with all the testing and experimenting and, and building that's going on. So behind all that discovery, what are some of the biggest challenges of designing this type of product and company? Is there anything super unexpected or surprising involved? Beyond day-to-day challenge of just not having enough time or people and switching contexts, I think it can be challenging sometimes where you feel like you're banging your head on the wall because you don't really know exactly what you're building towards because it hasn't really been done before. And also one of the challenges is is how do we effectively, how does the technology and design team, how do we effectively work and collaborate with the news team downstairs? You know, we haven't worked together before and it's different, different modes of operating. So I think it's just really the biggest challenge is we have a mission and we have a vision, but how do you figure out the in-between steps and what is most important to be working on right now? Yeah, those are great points to make about the challenges of figuring out the in-between steps. I think it's you know an exciting time, but it can, it can also be very stressful and difficult to find a product market fit in terms of what's really working. So earlier, you mentioned that you were recruited into Beam. Above and beyond some of the things that we've already discussed, what is it about the company, space, or technology that made you take the jump and join the team there? I think a lot of the things that I mentioned as challenges are also exciting opportunities. It's just really nice to be part of something when it's small and growing and and have an impact. It's really interesting to learn about media and journalism, especially in this landscape that's happening right now. It's really exciting to me to be growing a design practice from scratch. The team is amazing. I think like testament to our team is that we have these amazing retros after each sprint where everyone is very forthright and honest, but in a respectful way that feels very productive. So I just feel like it's been a supportive environment. And I got that sense when I interviewed and talked to people here. That's amazing. I'm looking forward to following your journey, building a design team at Beam. And what's next for you guys as things are coming together over the next few months? Thanks. So what are some of the most recent apps you've downloaded or just love in general? I guess everyone's probably already talking about this, but have you used HQ Trivia? We have. (laughs) Franco and I are big fans. We we always just, we haven't made it as far as winning the 12 questions, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's just cool to see it as a product and growing. And um, yeah, it's just fun up all around. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I'm a loser. I've never won. (laughs) I need to, I honestly need to stop playing. But we, we play that here at Beam. And in terms of other apps, I think a new app that I was playing with recently, which relevant to this conversation for podcasts is Anchor. And they have just interesting ways of discovering content and creating and and sort of the feedback mechanisms if you're listening to a podcast are interesting. So I think that's a fun example. Yeah, that's another great app that we we often kind of check out or, or, or post onto as well, where and I'm a product designer myself, and I always find it interesting to see the new um, kind of design patterns that they introduce on the mobile phone. Yeah, it's nice when to see people breaking out of 
just the normal things. Yeah, exactly. So are there any resources like a book, blog post, video, podcast that you've come across recently and just really enjoyed or that you keep coming back to? If I'm looking for inspiration or just kind of hanging out, I tend to like places that aren't necessarily about design or technology. So one newish platform I really love is Arena. And it's a way of you can upload images or, or links or any any sort of text and put it in different collections. And everyone has their own collections, but you can connect the pieces to each other. And the content that's on there is just weird and, and fantastic and a lot of like philosophy or architecture kind of heady things but just also like weird sort of self-referential internet analysis I don't know just like interesting stuff so I like just going into places like that and kind of rabbit holing in terms of product design I really have long been a big fan of Julie Zhu and, and her newsletter continues to be a fantastic resource I haven't heard of Arena before, so we'll definitely have to check it out. But those are, you know, overall some really great resources. So we'll make sure that we link to them for other people listening. On a final note, do you have any last thoughts or words of advice for other designers or entrepreneurs or anyone trying to build a career in tech? I would just say, I think building confidence has always been a struggle for me. And I'm not sure I like have any words of wisdom, but I think it's just normal for a lot of people. So reiterating that and to just say, like, keep pushing through and doing whatever it is that you do. I guess in terms of my experience in general throughout my career, one thing I've learned is that the more you learn and and the more senior, senior you become in an organization, the more you see that for the most part, pretty much everyone is just winging it and doing the best they can. So it just means that you should be doing it too and get in there. Absolutely. That's very true. And in most cases, anyone can really just step in and help shape that that canvas or vision for the product, you know, whatever it may be, because even the best laid plans are always changing. So that's great advice and a great way to end the show. Lydia, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. It was awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.